0: of Jesus as we've been going through the life story of Jesus, and we've talked about healings and miracles and feeding the 5,000 and interactions with the disenfranchised and so many amazing experiences that Jesus has had, but there's also some difficult experiences that Jesus had. And so it's, this message is going to be a little bit on the rough side, forewarned, okay, because We're going to talk about how Jesus cleansed the temple, and in our lives as well, we have to realize that there's a work of cleansing, as Ken just spoke about right now, and as we sang, there is a work of cleansing that Jesus wants to do in our life, and it was reflected in how he came and cleansed the temple. Now, you can find this experience we read, uh, Tim read for us this morning uh, from the book of Matthew, uh, the experience of Jesus coming and cleansing the temple, but it's actually found in in all four Gospels, in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and in John 2. However, in John 2, uh, many Bible scholars, and I ascribe to this as well, believe that uh, that experience in John chapter 2 was actually at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So it seems very much like that Jesus actually cleansed the temple two different times during his ministry and so we can see as we study through the Word of God we can see various times in which Jesus interacted with uh, the temple right at the beginning at his birth in Luke chapter 2 it says the day the Spirit led him this is speaking of Simeon to the temple so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus okay to the Lord as the law required Simeon was there He took the child in his arms and praised God. At this time when Jesus comes into the temple, again, he's a a baby, he's a child, just a newborn, just a few days old, and Simeon comes and meets Mary and Joseph, and there's this interaction that Simeon has that's prophetic, that's prayerful. There's something about this temple experience that's different from the temple experiences that Jesus would have later on in his life. A few verses down, speaking of Anna, she was, the Bible calls her a prophetess. It says Anna, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So Jesus' early interactions, even as a baby with the temple, was very much different than his interactions later on during the beginning of his ministry. So about 30 years later, we see this other interaction happen in John chapter 2, then going over to the people who sold doves, this is Jesus coming into the temple, right? He told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace, There's very much an experience of prayer, uh, a prophetic experience at the beginning when Jesus was just a baby, but 30 years later, Jesus comes into the temple, and he looks around and he sees what's happening in the temple, and it's very much like a marketplace. We don't see the situations and instances of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. It, it's something much different. And then if you go a few years later in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus comes again before his crucifixion uh, into, the, into the temple, it says, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, if Jesus were to walk into Unionville Alliance Church today... What would he say? Would he say that this is a house of prayer, or would he say that it's a den of thieves? Well, you guys are pretty confident. This house of prayer. If Jesus were to walk into your house, what would he say? If Jesus were to walk into your house, into your family environment, would he say this is a house of prayer, or would he say it was a den of thieves? If Jesus were to walk into your own personal life and have an interaction with you personally, what would he say? That you are a house of prayer or a den of thieves? And that's something all of us need to ask the Lord. Last fall... We were working through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we were talking about rebuilding. And we looked a little bit at uh, at covenants and temples and altars, and how we saw the progression of that through the Old Testament, uh, through the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, to Solomon's temple, to Zerubbabel's temple, which he built, and then finally to Herod's temple, which was the temple during Jesus' days. But then we foreshadowed into something that the Book of Revelation talks about when John says, "I saw no temple in the city," speaking of the New Jerusalem, for the the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And so we see that when Jesus was in the world, he talked about his own body being the temple, right? And then foreshadowing here, John says, there is no physical temple in the eternal city of God because God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he is the temple of God. And then if you look further down in, uh, or back into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we the temple of God. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So we ourselves individually, our bodies are the temple of God. How do we use our bodies for the glory of God? Or maybe as a den of thieves. Are we living towards the holiness of God, towards the will of God, or in different other ways and purposes? And then Paul also says in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize that all of you together, so all of us as the body of Christ, all of us as the church, the corporate body of Christ together, the hands and feet of Jesus, the eyes and and ears of Jesus, all of us together as the corporate body of Christ, we are together the temple of God, and that the spirit of God lives within us, abides within us, and works within us. And so friends, we have to understand that when Jesus is, is coming here and, and, and cleansing the temple, although, although there's this physical cleansing that's happening, although there's this literal act that Jesus is doing, there's so much more that Jesus is talking about here because he refers to the Old Testament and he helps us to project forward into the New Testament and what we will be when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within, within us as we are the living temple of God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please the Lord. So Peter here talks about how all of us are are living stones, lively stones within this Tabernacle within this temple that God is building we are alive within this we are we are those living souls Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and we are built upon him to make this temple this this foundation. And so as we t- understand this experience of Jesus coming into the temple at various times, at, right after his birth, and we see a sense of prayer and, and propheticness that's happening there in the temple. But 30 years later, Jesus walks in and says, hey, this place is a den of thieves. This place is a marketplace. This is not what I wanted. And then I, I, I believe personally that, that he was coming in there and cleansed the temple to give them a chance. And then three years later, he comes again and sees no difference sort of like the 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 parable that he told about uh, a tree that wasn't bearing fruit and they and and the master said let's give it some more time let's let's give it some good manure let's give it some good water let's take care of it and let's see if it brings forth fruit And Jesus came into the temple, cleansing the temple. And and I think maybe three years later coming in, hoping and desiring and wishing that it had been restored into a house of prayer. But unfortunately, when he came in, he saw that it was still a den of thieves, a marketplace. And so I want to look at this story in a a spiritual context, but also look back into the Old Testament. Because I think the phrases that Jesus uses gives us a glimpse into what his heart was. So there's a phrase that he uses here called a den of thieves, which is actually a phrase that's used in Jeremiah chapter 7. And then he uses a phrase, a house of prayer for all nations, or a house of prayer. And it's a phrase that Isaiah uses in Isaiah 56. And I think those phrases are very significant and important. And as we study the context of those, we can see maybe a little bit of what uh, Jesus is trying to do here. So I think if I can can put it into, into three different things, I think there's three things that I'd like to highlight from this story that I think Jesus is trying to help us to understand. One is consumerism, two is hypocrisy, and three is injustice. Now mind you, those three topics can be a whole sermon in itself, can actually be a whole sermon series in itself. So I'm not gonna do justice to any three of those topics because I'm just gonna give you a very brief overview in connection to I think what Jesus is trying to do here in cleansing the temple. And the first is consumerism. And I think I told you that this, you know, this might get a little dicey, right? And we want the Holy Spirit to convict us. I want the Holy Spirit to to convict me as well. Uh, Consumerism was a problem in Jesus's day. It's a problem in our day as well. It's a problem in the Western church as a whole, because we have this consumeristic mentality. In Jesus' day, as he walked into the temple, what did he see? He saw buying and selling. He saw money changers. He saw this consumer market. It It was a marketplace. He said, this is not the way the house of God is supposed to be. This is not the way the temple is supposed to be. This is not the way my people are supposed to be worshiping me. Right? In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12 it says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Here's my question for all of us. Why did we come to church today? Why do you come to church on a regular basis? Why do you come to the house of God? Is it with a consumeristic mentality? And, friends, if you're here today and you're a guest with us, thank you, first of all, for joining. uh, And thank you for being uh, part of our worship experience today. And maybe some of these things will give you pause to think, but I'd love to have a conversation with you later about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because as we talk a little bit about today, there are some difficult things about being a follower of Jesus. Are we here just as consumers? Or are we here with a different attitude or a different mindset, a mindset to serve, a mindset to give? Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, but among you, it will be different. He was talking to his disciples. They were, they were fighting over who's going to be the greatest, fighting over who have position of authority and power. And he says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, are we coming with a consumeristic mentality that we're just taking up a a parking spot and a place in the pew because we just want to receive, we want to be consumers? Or do we come with a heart and mind as Jesus came not to be served but to serve? And we can easily fall into that consumeristic mentality. It's easy for any of us to come into that. I fall into that at times, right? And sometimes we, we, we look at different things. We say, oh, well, I, I want to come be, to that church because, oh, they have a nice worship service. Or, or, or the singers are good. Or, or the experience is nice. Or the pastor preaches a nice message. Or they have a great children's ministry. Or... You know, I, 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 I can see that they do a very professional service or there's so many different things that we can evaluate and say, I, I'm coming because I, I'm receiving something. I want this. And there's, no, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that unless our whole intention and attitude is about just receiving because I don't think that's the heart of Jesus. I don't think that's the spirit of Christ because he came not to be served, but to, but to serve. And that's hard, and that's difficult. So I, I wanna challenge all of us, including myself. We, we live in an age, we live in a time period where uh, everything that's around us is supposed to make our life easier. Everything around us is supposed to make ourselves more comfortable, give us an easier life, right? And so we can get swayed into this very easily, that we want everything you know, to be easy. You can pull out your phone and Uber Eats and write to your house, right? Very easy. You can go online and order something and it'll be delivered right to your home. You can go online and watch something and it's, it's nice, nice and easy right there. I don't even have to leave the comfort of my own bed. We live in a world and in a society where, where things have become, we, we lower the standard to be like, what is the easiest way, the easiest thing, the easiest pathway? But I think the kingdom of God, which is an upside down kingdom, is completely different from that. I believe the kingdom of God that Jesus is building is not a kingdom of ease and comfort, but one of sacrifice and commitment and dedication to Jesus. Even in buying and selling in the temple, it was, it was to make it easier for the people that were coming. So when the people came, what, what was happening is when the people came to the temple at that time, they had uh, animals that were there. And so the children of Israel were commanded to come to Jerusalem and offer certain sacrifices multiple times in the year. And so what they did was, if people were traveling from a faraway land, and they were like, no, I can't bring my doves, or I can't bring my lambs, I can't bring my animal all the way while I'm traveling, well, guess what? I'll just bring some money, and when I get to the temple, I'm going to buy a sacrifice, and then I can sacrifice it right there. Easy, simple, isn't it? No hard work, but just I'm going to go there, you know, and just put my money in my pocket when I get there. I'll buy the animal that I need, and I'll make the sacrifice. Even in what they were doing with the money changers, and we'll get to that in a moment, the money changers and the the people selling animals for the sacrifice, which was a good intent of of sacrificing to the Lord. But there was this consumeristic mentality. Friends, I wonder in our own evaluation of how we live our Christian life, do we seek the path of least resistance? Oh, it's snowing outside. Praise the Lord for online service. Nothing wrong with that. You know me. I'm 100% bought into in-person, 100% bought into online. But what I challenge us is to examine our heart. I'm a little tired today, so I'm not going to read my Bible. Long day. Let me skip prayer today. And so many times our spiritual disciplines go out the door. So many times we look for what's what's easy, what's convenient. Do we come to church only when it's convenient for us? Daylight savings times, you know You guys all made it. And those watching online, praise the Lord. Do we come only when it's convenient or are we willing to worship when it costs us something? Do we come only when it's easy or are we willing to pay the price? Do we exercise our spiritual disciplines only in things that are good for us? I'm an introvert. Silence and solitude, I love. Let me exercise my spiritual discipline, silence and solitude. Everyone, get away from me. I love that, but what about the discipline of generosity? Oh, no, 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 not that. I don't like that spiritual discipline of generosity. No, don't, fasting? No, 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 isn't there a spiritual discipline of feasting? (laughs) We love the spiritual disciplines that cater towards us, but the moment that we have to take a step out of our comfort zone, the moment we have to take a step out of doing something that we are not accustomed to doing that costs us a little, are we willing? Or do we have this consumeristic mentality? As I shared with you during Holy Week, we're gonna be doing morning and evening Zoom devotional, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and I asked one person uh, about, about doing this uh, devotional and their response was, Daniel, I'll step out of my comfort zone and do it. Is it only when things are convenient? Is it only when things are comfortable? Is it only when things are easy? I'm not gonna bring the sacrifice all the way from where I am, all the way to the house of God. That's too much, Let me, I'll sell my sheep over there, bring the money and I'll, I'll buy it. Let's make it nice and easy for everyone. We live in a world of convenience, and unfortunately, even us as the church, we have fallen prey to that as well, in many regards. And we've tried our best to make things convenient and easy. I was reading recently a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I mentioned a few weeks ago by John Mark Comer. And at the end of his book, he gives about 20 things that help you to sort of just slow down and not get caught up with the busyness of this world. And you know one of the things that he said? When you go to the supermarket, right, pick the longest line. How many of us, we go to the supermarket, we go to the grocery store, we get ready to go to checkout, you're at Costco, and what are you doing? Which is the shortest line? What's the shortest line? What's, that's what we do naturally and normally. He said, pick the longest line. Why? Because in fasting, we deny ourselves a pleasure that we enjoy. And in picking the longest line, we deny ourselves a pleasure that we enjoy to get out of there quickly. And he said, pick the longest line, take your time, pray for the people around you, pray for the people in front of you, people behind you, pause, stop in the business of life. Friends, we live in this consumeristic world. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Now, that's pretty clear there. If anyone wants to follow me, you gotta gotta find the most convenient way. Hey, listen, when it's convenient for you, then come along. Is that what Jesus said? No, at one point, some people came to Jesus and said, look, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, look, I don't have anywhere to sleep. You still want to follow me? Some other people said, look, I'm I'm ready to follow you, but I got to go and do this and this and this and the other thing. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Just come and follow me. How are you serving today? If we are just receiving, and if we're just receiving, we need to ask ourselves, am I living in a consumeristic mindset? If after years of walking with Jesus we are only asking ourselves, what can the church do for me? What can the house of God do for me? What can the temple of God do for me? Then I think we've missed the message of Jesus. If after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of walking with Jesus, we are asking ourselves, do this for me, do that for me, run this program for me, do this, sing the song that I like, do what I want to be done, then friends, I think we've missed the message of Jesus. I think we've missed the life of Jesus. I think we've missed this idea of laying down our life and following him. I think we've missed what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In in John F. Kennedy's inaugural address when he was elected President of the United States in 1960, January 1961, he gave his inaugural address, it's a very famous line, you might have heard it before. He said, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He went on to say, in that same speech he said, then he addressed the citizens of the world, and he said, my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. I think if John F. Kennedy can rally the troops in America for a call like that, how much more can the citizens of the kingdom of God, how much more can the followers of Jesus have that type of mindset and mentality? How much more can we, as followers of Jesus, decide, I'm going to lay down my life, I am going to give up my own rights, I am going to lay down my own pleasure and my own way of doing things so that I can follow Jesus and be a citizen of his kingdom. I remember a number of years ago, I want to ask you to pray for Edna as we prayed. This, uh, Elaine prayed for her this morning, and Edna is dealing with cancer, as many of you know. A number of years ago when Edna first came to uh, Unionville Alliance Church and she was in her 80s and she came and she came, came to me and said, Daniel, how can I serve? That was her question to me. And she said, Daniel, can I set up a meeting with you? I want to I wanna come and meet with you to see what ways can I serve here at Unionville Alliance Church. Edna was in her late 80s at the time. But she knew and she had a mindset and a mentality, I'm not here just to consume, but I'm here to serve. Because she had walked with Jesus for so many years that the spirit of Jesus was in her. It's in her. That spirit of Jesus to say, I come not to be served, but to serve. I think when Jesus came into the temple to cleanse the temple, he was trying to rid the people from this consumeristic mentality. Because he was preaching a different kind of message. And he was teaching a different kind of kingdom. And he was talking about a different kind of lifestyle. It was an upside down kingdom. It was something that they were not accustomed to. They were accustomed to something very consumeristic. As we are accustomed to very, uh, something very consumeristic. The world around us teaches us this. of A life of ease and a life of the, 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 the path of least resistance. That is not the way of Jesus because he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And many times when we take up our cross, those are gonna be different th- difficult things. We live in a very narcissistic generation as well, where it's all about me, myself, and I. And friends, as I'm telling you these things, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, because I know I have to examine my heart and see the sinfulness of my own heart and see the ways in which I fail, and, and in many ways, I am very consumeristic. Look what it says in Jeremiah 7. Remember, I talked to you about how that phrase, Den of Thieves, is is here in Jeremiah chapter 7. And it says, verse 3 and 4, Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. They were in evil ways, and, and what they were holding on to was the fact that the temple of God was right there. That was their hope. They said, look, God's temple is here, God's presence is here, God is with us. And there was a sense of outward religion, outward religiosity, holding on to something that they weren't actually living out in sincerity. So what's the answer to all of this? The answer is prayer. Because prayer is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Prayer can be very narcissistic as well. Prayer can be very self-centered as we say, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, Lord, give me the other thing. But if God's house is to be a house of prayer, the first way that we should be prayerful is sacrificially, as we pray for one another, right? Prayer causes us to be selfless. Let me ask you this question. How many times in your life you've picked a church because it's been prayerful? Or maybe you've picked a church because they had nice worship. Or you picked a church because your parents went there. You picked a church because they had good preaching. Or a nice children's ministry. Or they did this and that that was really comfortable for you. When was the last time you picked a church because it was prayerful? When was the last time that was the lens of evaluation? When was the last time we asked ourselves, how can I engage in prayer and be part of a community, be part of a house of God that's a place of prayer. Anna did that. She was, when Jesus was born, Anna, the prophetess, she was there for decades in the house of the Lord praying. Anna was sacrificial in her prayer. This Tuesday evening, we're having a Zoom prayer. Pastor Leonore is going to be leading us in prayer, and I want to encourage you to come out to that. I want to encourage you to come out to a time of corporate prayer. I want to encourage you that in your own homes to have times of prayer. I want to encourage you in your own life to have times of prayer where you seek the Lord and ask him to make you and me and our house sacrificial instead of consumeristic. Number two, hypocrisy. This is another tough one, right? There was a lot of religious worship that was going on in Jesus' day but so much of it wasn't true worship they were selling animals they were changing money uh, w- the reason they were doing that was because of a, a temple tax so the people had to come and they had to pay a temple tax when they came and the temple tax had to be in uh, a certain kind of coin because they didn't want the coin that had Caesar on it and and all these other you know idols and other gods and things like that so they had to exchange their money to get the, the temple coin so that they could pay the temple tax but all of this and the sacrifices and paying the taxes and doing all those things even though it was according to the law that they had to do those things it was just an outward form of worship and I wonder for us as well how many of us are just fulfilling an outward form of religious worship and then we think that makes us a Christian what do we does what we do on Sunday affect how we live on Monday to Saturday that's a tough thing because sometimes we we tend to make a sacred and secular divide Sometimes we say, okay, well, Sunday is sacred, and Monday to Saturday I can do what I want, but it shouldn't be that way, right? Look in Jeremiah 7 again, uh, verses 9 to 11. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all these other new gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me and my temple and chant, we are safe? That's what they were doing. Doing whatever they want, living whatever life they wanted to live. Then they came to the house of God and thought, okay, I'm in the house of God. I'm good. You know, I, I, I paid my dues. I'm here on Sunday. I've done what I needed to do. I've done my religious act. I've done my service to the Lord. I'm finished. Lord, take care of me. Now let me go and do whatever I want to do. Only to go right back to all those evils again. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become what? A den of Thieves. This is why I said, I think Jesus is referring back and thinking back to the prophecy of Jeremiah as Jeremiah is rebuking the children of Israel for the ways in which they have lived hypocritically, gone away from the ways of God, and turned away from true and proper worship. Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Is Is our life marked by hypocrisy because we only live one way outside and one way inside? Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, uh, verse 1 and 2. Tell my people Israel of their sins, yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and and, and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a religious nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. Are we like that? We love to come to the house of God. We love to worship. We love to do all those things. We're doing all these things. We, 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 we seem like we're delighted to learn about the Lord. They asked me to take, take action on their behalf, pretending. Pretending what? They want to be near me. Oh, friends, this is the deep desire of Jesus to be near us, to be close to us, to fill us, and to change us. Do we have just an outward form of religion, but deny the power of that religion? In Timothy, Paul says it like this. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The power that can make us godly is the power of the Holy Spirit filling us and changing us and empowering us and causing us to walk in the ways of Jesus do we show an outward form of religion, but we don't have an inward practice of devotion and worship? Are we not, are we not engaging in those spiritual disciplines throughout the week? Are we not having that life with God once a, uh, throughout the week instead of just once a week? Do we come to the house of God but live like hypocrites? Matthew 23, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, And you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Friends, how are we worshiping the Lord? How are we walking with the Lord? I gave you some forewarning right at the beginning of the message that this would be a hard one. This is difficult, this is tough, but it takes inward reflection and an examination of our heart and life and seeing how are we walking with Jesus. In John 4, Jesus says, but the time is coming indeed, and it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? Is our worship just an outward reflection, or is it really a, a result of an inward change within us? So what's the answer to this? It's prayer. Because prayer is deeply personal. As we pray, hypocrisy is eliminated, eliminated from our life. As we seek the Lord in intimate prayer, the house of God should be a house of prayer. We should be a people of prayer. Our lives should be marked by prayer, and that personal aspect of prayer can take away the hypocrisy out of our lives. As we pray sincerely, we eliminate hypocrisy from us. Friends, prayer is the answer because God, Jesus is trying to say here in this passage as he cleanses the temple that my house should be a house of prayer. Prayer should be sacrificial. Prayer should be personal. Prayer should be sacrificial to eliminate consumerism. Prayer should be personal to eliminate hypocrisy. Prayer should be sacrificial to eliminate consumerism. Prayer should be personal, intimate, to eliminate hypocrisy. And number three is injustice. There was so much injustice going on in Jesus' days. And again, we can talk about this in a much larger context of the gospel. Actually, in the summertime, I've invited one of uh, the speakers from the International Justice Mission to come and speak about justice and missions uh, for one of our mission Sundays as he talks about justice within the gospel context as well. And that's going to be one of our mission Sundays in the summer. But in Jesus' days, there was a lot of injustice that, were ha- that was happening. What actually, what what Bible scholars say that actually uh, happened uh, during some of those days during Jesus' time at at the temple is that people would bring uh, their animal. If if somebody wanted to make a sacrifice and said, hey, I'm not just going to buy an animal, but I'm going to bring an animal to sacrifice, well, do you know what they would do? They would take that sacrifice, and they would look at it, and the priest had to okay the sacrifice. The priest had to look at the sacrifice and say, that sacrifice is okay. You can offer it. There's no blemish. But in order to help their friends out in the stalls who were selling the animals, do you know what they would do? Oh, no, 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 that has a blemish. You better buy one from the stall. Right? Oh, but they traveled all this way. Oh, but they don't have enough money. Oh, you better buy from my, my friends at the stall. There was so much injustice that was going on. The poor, the disenfranchised, couldn't keep up with what was happening in the temple. Jesus fought against injustice. And we also must do the same. If we pray, Lord, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, then that's a prayer for justice. Last week, Howard Jolly uh, spoke to us uh, a little bit about that as we examined even our own role and and as Howard shared his own story of being in, in a residential school and the injustices that were perpetrated against the indigenous people of Canada. And sadly, in the name of religion, Sadly, in the name of a religious act, sadly, in the name of even conversion to Christianity, that was done. Isaiah 1 says this, What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats when you come to worship me. Who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. It's pretty hard words there, right? That's tough. But look what he says a few verses down. He he says, look, this is what's happening. And and when Jesus came into the temple, he saw all of these things happening, them selling animals and sacrifices and doing all those things. And he, he threw over the tables of the money changers. He cast out those that were selling animals and said, my house should be called a house of prayer because he was seeking for justice. Because a few verses down, what does it say here in Isaiah 1? It says, learn to do good. Seek justice. So a few verses before that, he's talking about, I don't care about your sacrifice. I don't care about those animals. That disgusts me. What is he really looking for? He says it here. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. There was a system set up that, that advantaged the advantaged people. There was a system that was set up that helped those who were in a better position than the poor and the disenfranchised. How are we speaking up for injustice in our world today? How are we speaking up for those that are disenfranchised in our world and in our community today? In Jeremiah chapter 7, again, going back to that passage, it says here, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Because he saw that in the den of thieves, justice was not taking place. He saw that in the house of God, in the den of thieves, there was no justice that was happening. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. In Isaiah 58, and this is the chapter that talks about the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord coming and, and, and meeting his people and honoring the Sabbath as well. And he says this, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. He, again, he's talking, about, um, he's talking about not just having a religious show, not just talking about just doing something for the outward for everyone else to see. But he says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly oppressed. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from, from relatives who need your help. It's an interesting last line there, right? Don't hide from your relatives, right, who need your help. Oh, well, phone's broken. Asking for help. Probably, I, guess they, I guess he knew that you know, the first people who are going to ask for help are relatives, right? Don't hide from relatives who need your help. Don't hide from the disenfranchised. Don't hide from the oppressed, set them free. As we've been been talking about the story of Jesus for these last few months, we've seen how Jesus has met the leper who needs healing and who was cast away. How he spoke and empowered women of his day that was completely radical and different when they were treated like second-class citizens. How he ministered to the Samaritans who were ethnically different from the Jewish people and therefore they, the Jews were racist against those Samaritans and didn't want to have anything to do with them. How he went to the poor and to the needy. Jesus is our example of justice. And so what's the answer to this? I gave you two clues the last time, so. What's the answer to this? Prayer. Prayer. Remember, sacrificial prayer can eliminate consumerism. Personal prayer can eliminate what? Huh? Per- per- personal prayer can eliminate, eliminate hypocrisy. Corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is the one that can... Um, corporate prayer is the one that can eliminate injustice. Because the, the difficult thing for us... Is that, have you ever prayed with somebody that you're offended with? Have you ever prayed with somebody that maybe there's a hurt or offense? Have you ever prayed with somebody that maybe there's something that rubs you the wrong way? It's hard, right? It's difficult. But corporate prayer can eliminate injustice. Corporate prayer can help us to cross those lines that divide us. Corporate prayer can help us to take that step that we would not normally take. My house shall be called a house of prayer for the Jewish people. No. My house house shall be called a house of prayer for the Canadians. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Corporate prayer can eliminate injustice as we take that step to reconcile with others. Isaiah 56, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all people. There is a place in the house of the Lord for us. This Tuesday, as we gather together on Zoom for prayer at 7.30, can I encourage you to come together and pray. Sacrificial prayer can eliminate consumerism. Personal prayer can eliminate hypocrisy. And corporate prayer can eliminate injustice. As we take those steps to pray and make God's house a house of prayer for all nations. There's a movie that's going on right now in the theaters called Jesus' um, Revolution. Anyone seen it? Some people have. It tells the story of a revival that took place in the 1960s and the 1970s. Now, there, there's all sorts of interesting things in the story and you can listen to the story and read up about the story and say, How did, why did God do that? Or why did God use this person? Or why did God use that person? And, and I'll just say, God can use sinners and God can use anyone because God uses Daniel. But it tells the story of a church that was very formal and very prim and proper. And when the hippies started coming in, and when things were done not the way that they wanted it to be done, and when things happened in the church not the way that they thought should happen, revival broke out. And you can read about it in the 1960s and the 1970s. I know people that were affected and blessed and changed and touched because of the Jesus revolution that happened in the 1960s and in the 1970s. I know people that their lives were changed because of what happened. And friends, God chooses to work in ways that we might not choose to. And God works in in our lives to build a house of prayer in us personally, within us corporately, and within us as a body of Christ. A few weeks ago, a a revival broke out. Worship team, please come. A revival broke out in Asbury, in the United States, Asbury Theological Seminary. And it was interesting. It was a chapel service. And the guy that preached at the chapel service, he was actually a Christian Missionary Alliance guy from Envision. And he went and he preached and he thought it was a big bomb. He texted his wife on the way home, be home soon. Another, you know, everything didn't go well. He thought it was like nothing happened. But some students stayed back. and They started to pray. And then others came back, went to their classes and came back and saw people praying. And so they tarried and they waited and they prayed and they prayed and prayed and prayed some more and the spirit of God started to move and for days and weeks that place was a house of prayer for all nations as people started to come from all over neighboring cities and towns and places and even other countries to experience a little bit of what was going on and we might not have been there but guess what our bodies are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells within us And we as part of the body of Christ, as part of a corporate group of believers, the spirit of God dwells within us and the presence of God is with us and we can seek the Lord in prayer. Friends, can I encourage you today? I know there might have been some things that were pricking and if they were pricking to you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not Daniel. That's the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit our prayer team will be here after the service if you want to pray with somebody we would love to do that but if there's ways in which we need to change our life from living with a consumeristic mentality from living a, a hypocritical life or living a life not executing justice and living in a way that helps the disenfranchised then maybe there's steps that we need to change and it all starts with prayer. The sacrificial prayer that will eliminate that self-centeredness that we can have, that consumeristic mentality. The personal prayer that can, can eliminate the hypocrisy in our life. And the corporate prayer that can help us to cross those lines and fight for justice as Jesus did. As we sing this song called Hymn of the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you today just to surrender to Jesus? I didn't plan this at all, but I just want to ask you if you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you or convicting you and you want to come to the front here, I, just, I want to invite you to come to the front as we sing. If you feel like there are ways in which you've been living hypocritically or ways in which you've been living consumeristically or ways in which you've been living not fighting for justice and you want to respond to that, I I know when I look at my life, I see consumerism all over the place, hypocrisy all over the place and a lack of justice all over the place and I know I need a change. But as we sing this song, can we just yield to the Holy Spirit? I can't do anything, you can't do anything, but the Holy Spirit within us that makes us the temple of God, he can do everything for us. No compulsion. If you want to stay in your seats, that's fine. If you want to respond as you are, where you are, totally fine. But if you just feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing you, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want to encourage you just to come forward as well. As your act of response, let's sing to the Lord.